0: Good evening everyone, good evening, and I believe we are live, live stream, and if we are, welcome, and uh, wow, I miss everybody, we all miss each other, and I can't wait till we're all back in fellowship again, and uh, you know what, you know, we're going to get through this, and we're going to see each other, and it's just going to be that much more exciting when we see one another. Uh, tonight Pastor Joe has the night off he has the evening off and we have still have Bible study tonight and we're gonna get started right now with some prayer but again I want to say I just miss fellowship I miss uh, you know a full house and all of us raising our hands and worshiping the Lord but we'll we'll be back everything will get back in order and uh you know what uh the Lord is uh he's great and he's in control so hopefully no one is discouraged and uh Hopefully, this Bible study will encourage us. It uh, encouraged me as I put it together. So we get started. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our hearts and and pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we can reach out and and fellowship in a way, Lord, in a a way that uh, because we're allowed uh, with technology, able to gather, being able to uh, speak of the scriptures, worship you. And, Lord, I pray that tonight as we... uh, as we look at your word, that we would be encouraged, Lord, that we would, be, we would stand fast, that we would be built up. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with this evening. And I pray, Lord, that you would just cause us to, to just be more excited for you, as we are being kept away, so to speak, Lord, that we would just be excited so that we would just be filled by your Holy Spirit, and when we get together, Lord, the, the, the love would just pour out of these, out these walls and around the community. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, let's get started tonight. Tonight we are going to talk, and the, the subject is an unwavering faith, an unwavering faith, and uh, let's actually turn to the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And for those of you that are here, the scriptures will be up on the screen behind me. And uh, Hebrews uh, 13, verse 8. This verse says, and we're all familiar with it, and we probably quote it off and on, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is a powerful scripture, and, and the more that I, I, I put the study together and I looked at that verse, I wanted to kind of stay there, but it's the theme, it's the, uh, the idea of who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we look at the context, of the, maybe the broader context of Hebrews, uh, there's a lot to be learned, but we, we basically are, are seeing that Jesus doesn't change. It's pointing, being pointed out here that Jesus does not change. It speaks of the the, the word better is used or emphasized throughout the book of Hebrews of of the the new covenant and the concern of people maybe wanting to draw back into the old covenant, if you will. But the, the context here is that Jesus does not change. And it goes on and it speaks here in this chapter, verse 13, how we should live and how we shouldn't live. And it also speaks of how we shouldn't change. So, before we go even deeper in that, I want to look at the fact that Jesus doesn't change. However, when we think about Jesus, well, you know the saying, uh, what you see is what you get? Well, with Jesus, it's what we see is what we will always get. That's a crazy, incredible promise. Jesus is the same. He will remain the same. And the, the thing is, the question starts, we start to ask is... Um, The fact that he doesn't change, however, when it comes to us, we do. We change. We're not perfect. And we change for a lot of different reasons. And we can become um, wavering in our faith. So that's why tonight I want to talk about an unwavering faith. Now... We change because life circumstances change. I mean, right now, we're in the middle of this uh, virus shutdown, if you will. And that's a change for a lot of people when it comes to employment, uh, the concern for their health, maybe for the elderly. Uh, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of maybe, uh, maybe over-concern in some areas and then not enough in others. So life circumstances change, and we we don't always respond in the right way or in a way that grows our faith. We're going to deal with a lot of life-changing circumstances throughout our lives. But we don't always, we don't always respond in a way that grows our faith. In fact, some examples is our faith can be strong. It can remain strong, if you will. We can be unwavering when we're at home and there's harmony in the household. There's peace at home. But then our faith is tested. Things change when there's marital conflict. And how do we respond to that? Do we remain the same? Our faith can be strong when you're, especially today, driving without any traffic, the 405 and no traffic. That's, that's pretty, pretty wild when you think about it. But it all changes when our faith is tested when we're cut off on that freeway. How do we respond? Do we waver? Our faith is strong when we're receiving a regular paycheck when we're employed, And then our faith is tested when we are not employed or maybe not making enough or whatever the situation is that causes us not to have the finances. And then our circumstances change and then we can sometimes waver. We respond in a way that doesn't cause our faith to grow. So here's the thing. Jesus doesn't change, but Jesus can change over time. He can change in our minds, in our hearts, because of how we respond to life situations, life circumstances. So keep that in mind. Jesus is the same, but he can change in our minds and in our hearts. And that's where we have a faith that wavers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, before I even read that one, Life circumstances can change depending on a lot of things, not just uh, things we're experiencing. Psalm 1, for example, speaks of us to avoid the, the counsel of the wicked, not to stand with sinners or, or, or avoid, to avoid scoffers. And, and, uh, but when we, don't, when we don't abide to these biblical principles in our life, uh, we, things change, and then we can begin to waver. So there's a lot of different things that we have no control over and things that we have a lot of control over. Now, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 2, or, or have you, it says here, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you, present you as a pure virgin. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness or his trickery, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity, that is, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You see, we can be swayed. We can end up wavering in our faith and in our, in our trust in the Lord. And it's a dangerous place to, to get to. And sometimes it's too easy to get there. You see, Jesus is the key, obviously. And I want to emphasize that tonight in, in as many ways as I can with the scriptures. Jesus, he's our savior. He, he should be our refuge. He's our deliverer. When we look at the scriptures in a whole, when we look at Jesus' life and the things, the events that took place. We see that there was a storm when the disciples were in the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water and he calms the storm. And he calms the storm and Peter was able to walk on water. Jesus gives a parable of a man, or two men, uh, the one who built on the rock and one who built on the sand. And it speaks of the one who built on the rock, who builds his life on Christ. That guy, his house withstood uh, the storm. You see, life is going to be full of storms. And Jesus is the one that's going to guard us, protect us. He's going to provide safety for us. He's going to give us that hope. You see... When we look at life being filled with storms, we need to understand that Jesus can sort of, I guess we could look at him as our he should be our anchor in life. When those storms hit, see, a storm can hit. And if you're in the middle of the storm, and imagine you're not anchored, um, you're going to be taken all different types of directions. The waves are going to carry you. And when, you get, when, the, when the storm is over and you look up, you'll, you won't know where you are. You might be surprised where you are. Many people do go the wrong way, make wrong decisions, and they realize, how did I get here? Well, they weren't anchored in Christ, if you will. And they find themselves in a place that they don't belong, in a place that they didn't mean to go, but they weren't anchored, and they ended up uh, wavering in their faith. So Jesus is faithful. He's faithful to remain the same. The big question is, are we? How faithful are we? You see, a sincere and a growing relationship with Jesus, that's necessary to maintain a consistent walk, an unwavering faith. That's key. It, it is important that we understand the importance of all about Christ in our lives, knowing that we're ready. You know, I once, I've shared this before. I one time had a dream. My daughter was still a little girl, and I had this dream, and it was end times. And I knew that it was end times, and, and they, were, they were gathering Christians to be killed. And I remember specifically, it was me and my daughter being taken away to be killed. I knew this. My daughter didn't know. And I was trying to guard her mind and saying, as they took us into a room, I remember the exact weapon they were going to use when they brought it out. And I was standing near my daughter in this dream, and I'm whispering to her, and I'm telling her, think, just trust in the Lord Jesus. Do not abandon the Lord Jesus. I'm thinking because as soon as they... As soon as they kill me, they're going to try and convince her to deny Christ. And this is my thinking in the dream. And as the dream carried on, and I'm, l- Lauren, hold fast. Just hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's everything, okay? Everything's going to be fine. And then when they begin to do the execution, they, they start with her. And it threw me for a loop, and I woke up shocked and surprised and brokenhearted and thinking, wow. I thought it the other way around, that I need to protect my daughter. It gave me an insight as to, I need to make sure I'm protected as well, that I can endure what life brings. So we need to know that it's all about Christ, and we need to make sure we're anchored in him, and we need to remain uh, faithful. In Hebrews, uh, look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse uh, 23. Now, when we think of the believers here, the Hebrew believers or Christians, they're dealing with intense persecution here through the, the book of Hebrews. We need to remain faithful, committed, and that's a surrendered spirit to the Lord. To be able to endure whatever trials we, are, we face, whether it is an end time scenario, or whether it's just losing our job or, or becoming ill, remaining faithful to the Lord. In uh, Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 24, it says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Without wavering. That word there is, in in the Greek, is eklines. Eklines. And it means to not inclining. To be firm and unmoved. To be firm and unmoved. And its root, the root of the word is it has to do with to fall back. So when we waver, we fall back. The book of Hebrews, is, they're trying to, the, the message there is that Jesus is better. The co- new covenant is a better way. Christ is everything. Don't go back to the old. And we, it says here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. People were trying to be encouraged not to lose hope. Don't waver in your hope of salvation of Christ, the Savior, his return. So the Greek word here for hold fast is katecho. And it means keep secure, hold, or head the ship. It means to hold back, detain, retain from going away. Not allowing our faith to go away in the sense of being overwhelmed with persecution Overwhelmed with trials, and then allowing the worst case scenario where we begin to waver or fall back. If we are not consistent, if we are not anchored in Christ, we will drift. We will drift. We will fall back. We will pick up bad habits. A complete surrender is necessary, it is necessary for us to stay the course. To remain unwavering in our faith is a complete surrender to the Lord. In Hebrews 10.25, it goes on to say, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So praise the Lord for live stream. Praise the Lord that we can get the word out. Churches around the world are still preaching. They're still worshiping. They're getting the word out and they are assembling together in a way, you know, years and years and years ago, we wouldn't be able to do this, but we have some advancements and we're able to, ha- to get together. But here's the thing is if we forsake our assembling together, I mean, that's why I'm so grateful that we have Livestream. If we didn't have this, I mean, how many people are suffering right now and perhaps wavering in their faith because they're unable to fellowship because they're unable to get together, it hurts a lot of people. It discourages a lot of people. There's a lot of broken. We're all broken, but there's a lot of brokenness that takes place on a Sunday morning when people gather to hear a message of hope, to hear about a savior. But when they're not, there's not nowhere to go, they're hurting, and we want to reach out. And of course, praise the Lord, we have live stream capabilities. But we must remain focused on the Lord, undivided when he comes to the Lord. God has to be first. Jesus has to be first. In order for us to to not waver, he has to be number one. He has to be everything. And things that get in the way and hinder should be removed from our lives. God first. I don't think you have this verse on the wall. But Matthew 6.33, one you're very familiar with. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The context there is worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to have, having your needs met. And a lot of people are worrying right now. A lot of people are understandably concerned about their uh, meeting their uh, their bills, paying their bills, their mortgage, their feeding their children, and what have you. But God has to be first even in trials like this, even at a time like this. I know there's a lot of people hurting, more than others, with a lot of question marks. My wife and I were just talking about someone earlier. There's a big mystery as to what will take place, even when things open up. We don't know. And our hearts break for people like this in these situations. So we have to make sure God is first. We have to make sure we're seeking him and his righteousness, and he will provide throughout this storm, this virus storm, if you will, that we continue to trust him. In Matthew six twenty four. If you turn to Matthew six twenty four, it says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And the context here is mammon, it's talking about a, a love of money or a, a love for God. Can you have God and a love for money? Those, th- those two things have a, there's a conflict there. The love of money and the love of God, they don't mix. And they will eventually clash, whether you know it or not, it will. And you know, tell you the truth, for some people, that battle, that clash could actually take place on Sunday mornings when it's time to to give, when it's time to give an offering to the Lord, a financial offering. I'll tell you, it really tests people. And it, and it, it really sheds light on us to, do I love money too much? When it comes time to give, is there a battle? Because this comes to, to fruition, if you will. It, comes to, it plays out a lot of times. But this word serve, no one can serve two masters. We can't be divided when it comes to Jesus Christ. Not one foot in and one foot out. Serve, that word in the Greek is douluo. Douluo. And it means to be slave to, to do service. To obey, to submit and of course, the context for this Greek word it determines uh, good or bad. So depending on the context, it's a good situation when it comes to um, being a slave or a servant or bad. To obey or to submit to. In a good sense, it means to yield, to yield obedience. In Ephesians six uh, six and through six through seven. It speaks of the word "serve" and "slave," referring to the believer um, as being slaves of Christ, serving as to the Lord. And those are contexts obviously good. It's to yield obedience to Jesus Christ. In a bad sense, it becomes it speaks of becoming a slave to a base power, overwhelming something that gets you, like bondage, and it and where someone gives oneself to or give themselves up to. So there's a good sense and a bad sense when we look at this. So we can't serve two, and here's the thing I want to point out about this verse. Um, there's um, the word hate, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Hate, that word is miseo, and it means to pursue with hatred, to detest. So you are either going to, you can't serve two masters, you're either going to hate one, you're going to hate it, pursue it with hatred, detest it, And love the other one. The other word here that uses is despise. Kataphroneo in the Greek. Kataphroneo. And it means to think little or nothing of. So think about this. You can't serve these desires of the flesh and God. Because you may end up loving one and detesting the other. Or thinking little of. Now imagine us when we allow, if we allow sin to reign in our hearts, to love it more than God. We can't serve two and we're kidding ourselves if we think we're balancing both, one foot in, one foot out. You're, you could get to the point where you're hating the things of God because you're so overwhelmed and become in, fall into this bondage of sin. Or you get to a point where God you start to think little of. Because you're serving something else. You're serving someone else. And that's a terrible place to be. When we think of that. So when we hear you can't serve two masters. There's incredible truth there. Because something will happen to one. And you do not want to get to a place like that. When it comes to the Lord. We need to serve God. It's a complete surrender. And it must be him alone. The one that we serve. Now. we have to be careful we don't become comfortable because getting comfortable is one of the things that can cause us to waver in our faith we get comfortable and we think oh everything's good i'm good everything's fine i'm okay we begin to plateau in our faith or we uh, we start becoming complacent we need to avoid complacency we need to guard ourselves from that and we uh was it last i think it was last man's retreat uh, my message had to do with complacency and plateauing, a spiritual plateau and avoiding it and guarding ourselves from it. But here, Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16, speaks of being lukewarm. And we need to, we need to watch out that we don't become lukewarm. <clears throat> Revelation 3, 15 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. These are some powerful, hard-hitting words, hard-hitting truth. Now, this letter here, the Church of Laodicea, your Bibles might say something of the lukewarm church or just the Church of Laodicea. But think of it this way when we look at this passage applied to our lives and what we need to guard ourselves from becoming the lukewarm believer because here we see what's going on is there was a drifting going on they were veering off course they had and you'll understand what I mean somewhat of a roller coaster type faith commitment to the Lord you see they didn't they weren't opposing Christ they weren't at that point if you will Their needs were met. Life's good. Things are comfortable. You see, when things get comfortable for us, when life is good, and like I mentioned the other things, you have a job and there's no traffic and marital bliss at home, um, you know, we can lose sight of Christ. Sometimes we can get to a point where we start thinking, you know, the world is so bad because the world is bad. That it's so bad, and compared to the world, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing well some of those Christians are pretty bad. I'm doing pretty well. And we start to grade on a curve and we start to think little of the things of the Lord and what can take place is we begin to be complacent and we need to guard ourselves from becoming this lukewarm. Lukewarm, that word there used in the Greek is kliaros. And it's a, it, it speaks of a fluctuating between lethargy, and fervor of love. So think about that, a fluctuating going on. Think about it, how it happens spiritually, how it can happen spiritually, where we fluctuate from lethargy and fervor. You see, when we fluctuate, when a person is fluctuating like this and become lukewarm, they have a wavering walk, a wavering faith. The lethargy is a lack of energy and enthusiasm. Fervor, of course, is intense and a passionate feeling. Lukewarm is a wavering walk. And what you see and how you see that played out is someone that's excited and passionate, intense for the Lord, and then they lack enthusiasm or energy and there's something that can, there's different things that can cause that but you know we can just get so fired up so fired up you're on Sunday morning you're excited you're praising the lord you're hugging the brothers and sisters and then the week kicks in and you're not so passionate anymore you kind of lack energy you don't open up the scriptures you don't pray you, you don't do whatever the things that you need to do to stay focused on the lord and sunday you're hot And then during the week, we get cold or we're lukewarm and we're bouncing back and forth. Overall, that would be the picture of Sunday, Wednesday, and then the rest, you're back and forth. And there's a fluctuation that takes place. So think about this. I will spit you out of my mouth. Think of a hot day and it's super hot. And you, you're gonna, about to drink some water and someone hands you a container and you take a drink and it's lukewarm. That's not what you were expecting. That's not what you want. And what you probably do is spit it out. You know, I love, and you understand when I, how I say this, I love coffee. And the greatest thing in the morning, next to the Lord, is waking up and serving a cup of coffee. Brewing a cup of coffee, it's nice, it's hot, it's ready to go. And while it's brewing and I'm getting ready and I'm bringing out whatever it is that I'm going to put at the table and, and read or study or, or what have you, I'm gathering all my stuff, finally I get my coffee. And sometimes I get caught up and I'm doing a little too much before I get to sit down. I sit down, I get everything ready, and I grab my cup and I take a drink and it's lukewarm and I'm sad. And I spit it out. <laughs> I actually just brew another cup. Weird, I don't like to throw it back in the microwave. But it's it's just not what you're expecting. It's, It's what the Lord expects of us is to be not lukewarm, but to be hot, to be excited for him, not fluctuating, not lukewarm, but always excited with intense, passionate feelings towards the Lord. So how, does these, how do these things happen? How, what happened to the, this church of Laodicea? What happens to the believer, the lukewarm believer? What happens? Sometimes what happens is routines. We get into routines, and when we fall into a routine, well, then it becomes, uh, when it comes spiritually speaking, it can become religion. And religion, I believe, is defined as man's way of reaching God, man's way of reaching out to God by doing ceremonial things, rituals and what have you. That's a religion and not a relationship. And so what happens with, with uh, routines is we go to church, we do this, I do that, I do that, and then, then it becomes a routine and we start to lack fervor, a genuine concern for the brethren, a genuine prayer life, and, and on and on it goes. Take marriage, for example. In fact... I believe uh, our man's retreat has been postponed. It's actually been uh, rescheduled. Um, But uh, I believe what I'm teaching on there is marriage and responsibility of marriage. And I can't wait for that. Um, That'll be an exciting time. But there's danger in routines when it comes to marriage. When we look at marriage as an example, because marriage requires maintenance, teamwork, agape love a servant love, a, a, a being a servant leader, someone who, who, who truly in action loves their spouse. There's danger of routine taking place, of going through the motions. You'll end up like glorified uh, roommates if, if, you, if you're not careful. And it, the picture there of marriage, your marriage becomes much like a religion instead of a relationship. And so when we think of this, we think of, of marriage. In Proverbs 5, it speaks of rejoicing with the wife of your youth. Con- you don't just win her over, get her to say, yes, I m- I'll marry you, and then expect everything to just take, it, take, uh, take care of itself. But we maintain a marriage. We nurture the marriage, the relationship. And that's how it grows, and that's how we're able to rejoice with our wife of our youth. You know, in, the, in the Proverbs 5, I believe it is, um, it, it has words that have to do with to be, well, to be intoxicated by her at all times, and it's really cool because there's like a meaning of being head over heels and you know uneasy on your feet because you're in love, and that relationship needs to be nurtured, otherwise routines will cause it to become lukewarm, and that's a danger that a lot of marriages walk into when they when they're not uh, taking initiative in the relationship. So. Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Let's go back to Hebrews 13 and let's look at verse 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. We're backing up here from verse uh, 8, obviously. uh, Hebrews we started with. Um, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never... Desert you, or nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now here's a situation where life changes, and in Hebrews, uh, these believers were dealing with persecution. And the the point is that the Lord is our helper, and he's saying, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Persecution. What will life do to me? So, what's really cool is is where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, There's an emphasis, um, an extra emphasis on the negative. It's almost as if you're saying, I will never, ever leave you. That's, in in essence, what the the Scripture is saying. I will never, ever leave you. There's an emphasis, a strong emphasis on that promise. And in verse 6, So that we confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And the point, I reason why I backed up to this verse is that we're dealing with weird times right now and we become discouraged and our faith can waver. And this beautiful part of this here is the Lord is my helper. That word helper is baethos, baethos. And it means one who comes running when we cry for help. One who comes running when we cry for help. I will not be afraid. That word, fear, phobe, phobeo, phobeo, it means panic that grips, that causes us to run away, and fills us with anxiety. So right now, you might be dealing with, you know, the unknown, the mystery. You're overwhelmed. You begin to, to your hope is wavering. Let's say. And the the promise here is that the Lord is there for us. And he he is the one who comes running when we cry for help. So there's just a beauty in this entire passage here. Look at verse 7 now. In verse 7, it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. So, Now it goes into verse 7, into um, remember those who led you. Imitate their faith. You see, we need to make sure that we're not wavering in our hope of salvation, in our trust, our faith in the Lord. And here we get a glimpse on how to go about this. Imitate their faith. Imitate, that word is mimeomai, and it means to mimic. Do what they do. Whether it's voices, their mannerisms, their movements. Do what they did. So when we look at scripture and we're going through scripture and a Bible study, we want to make sure that how did Paul handle this? How did the leaders of the church deal with persecution? And it says to imitate their faith. And to imitate their faith, um, for example, the point that is being made here is when we look at those leaders, they remained faithful regardless of the circumstances they dealt with. The trials, the threats, adversity, persecution. And when we see that, we need to make sure that we're looking at scripture and we are modeling our lives after them. We're using them as our examples and we're doing what they did. Not what we think they might, could have done, but what they actually did do. And they didn't uh, fall back. So we need to imitate their example, as in verse 7, so that we don't waver. If we follow those examples, then we become equipped ourselves to lead and be an example to others. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 and 8 says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity. In doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So we need to get a clue, follow their example, because we are someone else's example. Somebody is looking at us, and we have to understand that we have a a role. Young men, be sensible. Young men, whether you're a new believer or a young person, um, sensible. Sophroneo is the Greek word. Sophroneo. And it means to have a sound mind or one's right mind and to exercise self-control to curb one's passions. So there's a lot of responsibility on our part in not wavering. There's a lot of responsibility that we need to understand that we need to curb our passions. It goes on to say, be an example of good deeds. That Greek word is to pass. And that here, it's an example to be imitated. It's of men worthy of imitation. So we need to make sure that we're looking at our lives and am I worthy to be followed? Am I being a good example? You know, it's all about being a proper example. Somebody's looking at you and someone's learning things from you, whether you like it or not. So we want to make sure that we're worthy of being followed. We want to make sure that we're worthy leaders. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul writes, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, Timothy, But rather, in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself as an example or a tupas of those who believe. We have a major role in being an example. And what you're doing, if you're a parent, if you are a mentor, if you are someone, a Christian, you are an example to a lot of people. And you want to make sure that you're worthy of being followed. Second Corinthians uh, chapter three, verse, verses two and three. In Second Corinthians chapter three, verse two, it says, "You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink." but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So we're familiar with this verse, and we're talking about, hey, people are reading you. You're being, you might be the only Bible someone actually opens is your life as they watch you. What I see here is look at, look at the emphasis. You could say, hey, you are a letter written in our, in our hearts. You're a letter. And not only that, but you're read by all men. Whoa. gets pretty heavy then it gets heavier being manifested that you are a letter of christ we are ambassadors of christ so we see that hey i'm an example to people wait people are actually watching me and yes and you are a letter of christ you are representing christ and we want to be worthy to be uh if we're going to represent christ amen finish this saying with me you guys probably know it It says, a picture is worth a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. And when we think of that, your life is just, you are preaching the gospel with your life. When you walk in the room, you're preaching the gospel. How you say hi, how you don't say hi. Maybe how you turn your nose up to somebody. How are you preaching the gospel? How are we being read we're going through a terrible trial. How are we responding? People are watching. People are reading how you're responding. Does it match what the scriptures say on how we should do? There's many situations that we can go on and on that, that, that we do that don't necessarily, we don't have to say a word. You know, I think of this personally. In when I was a kid and um, when my father was around and my parents were still married, um, I used to watch, even when they were separated and what have you, um, I used to watch my mom and dad. And I've mentioned this before, I believe. And I used to watch them and he would, you know, we would be having breakfast or whatever and then they would talk. And as a little boy, I would watch them and I would sometimes see him hug her. And then I would see them laugh sometimes. Or they would tease each other and, and, and silly things. And to me, it caused me to light up because I had hope. And I looked at them and I thought, wow, that, I, I love that. It just lightened up my life because it brought hope that uh, maybe they will stay together. Maybe they will remarry and all these things. And, 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 you know, because what I was watching spoke volumes to me. And, you know, I carried that over with Carol. And uh, when our kids were little and, you know, we'd be in the kitchen and we would get together and I would get Carol and we would dance dance around in the kitchen, or we'd hug. I'd hug Mommy, or I'd give her a sweet little kiss, and I'd look at Lauren, and they'd be blushing, and they would be smiling, and Johnny would be kind of like, you know. And I would see the response, and I knew that what they were seeing was something that is valuable, being an example to them. You know, now, when I dance with Carol and hug her and give her a kiss, I believe <laughs> the response is much different I believe Lauren says something like, ew, and I believe Jonathan just looks, rolls his eyes, and walks out of the room. It's a whole different picture now. But you know, we are an example to people in different ways. And so when you ask yourself this question, what kind of an example am I? How am I portraying the the scriptures? How am I my life living out? Are we, how would we be read? Are we like a, a drama series, full of drama in our life, and that's the example we give? Is it a soap opera? Is our life a soap opera where people are looking at it and seeing all kinds of wrong stuff? Are we a rated R book, movie? What are we? Are we a rated G movie? G as in godly. Are people seeing uh, what they need to see in a godly couple, in a godly man, in a godly woman? And God forbid that we are some fiction book and being fake and gone beyond wavering? Does our example change with with circumstances? You know, let me share... I will quickly... Go through this Daniel six ten. We speak. When we think of Daniel, um, when we think of Daniel, Daniel was you know he was taken captive. He was not living in his homeland, and he but he prospered. He was assigned to lead, and people became jealous because he served God, and then they were so jealous that they made a law so that uh, that so that he would violate it and worship God instead of the king, and that's what we see in verse chapter six verse ten of Daniel. It says. That Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. You see, it was customary for them to look towards their land, look towards Jerusalem, and pray three times a day. That's what he did. That was normal for him. But they made a law and they said, you, have to, you can't worship any other god other than the king. And if you did, you'd be thrown into the lions. But Daniel didn't waver. Daniel is an excellent example of someone who said, oh, I'm being forced. I have, to, I have to make a choice here. Do I continue worshiping God or this king? He didn't, he didn't, even, uh, he didn't even think about it. You know? And with us, how do we change when we're in public? Are we afraid to pray for our meal in front of people, in front of strangers, maybe even offer, may I bless the food? But see, Daniel is a perfect exper- uh, example of someone who didn't waver. And when this took place, he's about 90-ish years old, and he lived an unwavering faith. Even when it says Daniel knew that the document was signed, he knew that he would be thrown to the lions. And you know what's interesting? Because we're being read by people. His enemies saw this. That's why they created the law. Because they knew they got him. Because he would not be unfaithful to God. And so he does go forward. And it says that he continued to pray as he had been doing previously. He didn't waver. He stayed the course. He didn't uh, change because life circumstances changed or forced him. He stayed true to God. Now let's look at very quickly. James chapter one verse two. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when we go in through trials, we have to understand that we don't waver, we gotta stand fast. The words here being used, trials, parosmos, means attests or proving. Testing in the Greek is dokimion, and it means the proving, in this context, the proving of our faith. And the word endurance is hupomone, and it means a steadfast, patient waiting. So it says, to, to, um, the testing of our faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. And that word there, hupomone, hupomone is a steadfast, patient waiting, but it's even more than that. It comes, it originates from a word, hupomeno. And hupomeno means to remain, to abide, to not flee, not recede. I kind of wish my hairline would have hippomenoed. (laughs) To not flee, to not recede. But this word here is saying that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And this, hupo monai, is not passive. It's active. It doesn't sit back and just put up with the trials. It stands up and faces it, faces the trials. It has the the, the Im, Im, implication of setting out to conquer and to overcome. And we might be going through some tough times today. You might be going through some difficult things, and we need to stand fast in, while we're being tested. Stand fast so that we can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that word of being complete or perfect has to do with maturing, it's growing. That word endurance, it's the characteristics in the New Testament, it's the characteristic of a man not swerved from his loyalty to faith by even the greatest trials and suffering. So when we're going through these tough, difficult times, we need to stand fast, don't waver. Stand fast in the Lord and you will become stronger in the Lord when you do that. Look at Philippians one twenty seven. It says, Paul writes, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word there, conduct, is politioume. And it means to be a citizen. In other words, to avail oneself to recognize laws, to be law-abiding, if you will. And when we think of it in the terms of how we live as a citizen, you follow the laws, you obey the laws. And here it's saying your conduct, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, recognizing him recognizing, making ourselves available in a surrendered life to Christ. And look at Philippians 3.20. Philippians 3.20, we see the word, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word there is related as well. Our citizenship is in heaven. And when we get caught up in the things of this world, we begin to allow our citizenship, if you will, of our, to our country, get ahead of our citizen, citizenship in heaven. And we are, begin to waver. We need to be unwavering in our faith. So here's what we need to keep in mind, is we need to mature. We need to grow up. We need to continually grow in our faith. 1 Corinthians 14.20. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. Be teleos. In other words, continually growing, or the word is maturing. Spiritually growing up. We need to continually have a life of growing in our faith. When we look at our, our faith, when we look at our walks, our habits, the things we've got rid of in our lives from last year, have we grown? Can we say, yes, I have grown. I've made changes in my life. I'm more committed to the Lord now. I'm more available to the Lord now. You see, that's the Lord's command to mature, to grow up. In Matthew 5.48, he says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are to be spiritually growing, is his command. Look at Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, there's some Greek words here, and so you can understand the picture that we're talking about a race. Running with endurance, lay aside things that are tangling us up. Lay aside means to take off, to put off, to remove. As if I said, hey, let's all go outside and run a race, 50-yard dash. Well, some people are going to be taking their high heels off. Some people are going to be putting on some, taking off their sweats, putting on some running shorts, putting on some running shoes. You're going to get equipped. And when you get equipped, that's when you're connected with the Lord, when he's your anchor, when he's your all, and you're being equipped, and you're going and you're surviving uh, enduring trials. Easily entangles us, removing things that restrict our movement. In running this race, he's given us the picture that taking off things that would keep me from a full extension of running or what have you. So we need to remove things from our lives that restrict us. The question is, what's restricting us today? What restricted us that I didn't grow over the last year, the last five years? Is that an issue in our lives? And, and you know what? It's not a mystery of the things that restrict us. We know what restricts us. It's just do we want to take them off? Do we want to put it off? And so what is restricting? What is it that we're doing? What is things that we need to change? Maybe who is it that we're involved with that we need to cut off because they are keeping us from being having an unwavering faith. So, run with endurance. Hupomone. There's that word again. A steadfast patient waiting. But it's not passive. It's active. It's to set out and to conquer, to overcome. You're running a race. You're not going to stop in the middle of the race. You don't want to give up and just sit down. You don't want to stop and put your hands on your and, and lean over or go to the side and sit on the bleachers. You want to stay in the race. You want to keep going. And it we see that in Hebrews twelve two it says, Because here's the thing, here's the command. Run with endurance. Lay aside all the junk. Get people and things out of your life that are keeping you from Christ. Get it out. Remove it. Put it aside because it's entangling you easily, the scriptures say. And it restricts you. Run with endurance. Run in a way that you're setting out to conquer and overcome. Because with Christ, all things are possible. Look at uh, in Hebrews 2. Because the, the, thing, the question is, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? Okay, I'm going to start taking these things aside, but it's hard. They, it's hard to get rid of bad habits. It's hard to run with endurance and, and be so fixed on, on the Lord. How do I do this? Hebrews 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, sup- despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on, let's say, the leader, the author, the perfecter, the one who has overcome. He's the one who has finished the race. Our eyes should be fixed on him. If we're in a race, this word fixing, phorao, it means to turn our eyes away from other things and fix them on something else. What's restricting us today? Who's restricting us from growth today? Who's causing us to waver, doubt God, lose hope? We need to take our eyes off of those things, those people, whatever it is, and fix them on Jesus Christ. Taking our eyes and removing them from that. You know what? uh, It's the New Living Translation says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus How do I remove these things? How do I run with endurance? By keeping your eyes on Jesus. But that also includes taking them off something else and putting them on the Lord. Taking them off the things that have been restricting you and putting them on the Lord. You're in a race. And it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you're in a race, you don't look to the stands. You don't look to see who's cheering for you. You don't look at the other people. You look towards the finish line. And Jesus finished. And Jesus, it says here, he's the author, or in the Greek, the chief leader. He is the perfecter. And that means the perfect completer. He finished the race perfectly. He completed the race. And he's over there on the finish line. So we need to take our eyes off of everything else and look to where Jesus is. He's at the finish line. And we'll get there too, when our eyes are on him. And we might be in a tough race, but we don't want to quit. You don't want to quit the race. You know, you may have already tripped on a hurdle and you're on the ground and you're in pain and you're hurting. It says in the Greek that we are to, to go out, set out to conquer and overcome. So what that means is to get up and finish the race. Get up. And stop looking at your wounds and stop looking at whatever and keep your eyes or fix them and turn them to Jesus Christ. This last verse I want to share with you. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. Perseveres. Hupomeno the person who remains and doesn't flee, the person that stays in the race, the one that gets up, the one that doesn't go to the sidelines and quit and sit down. But he knows the finish line and the finisher and the one that just perseveres and will not uh, leave the race. And we look at the word trial. Who Under the trials that they're dealing with, the parosmos, the tests, or the proving. And it says, blesses is the man who perseveres, blesses is the man who sets out to conquer, to overcome, and we are overcomers because Christ is overcome. If we stay in the race and we, through all the trials, whether you've tripped over a hurdle, and that ultimately, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Approved. Dokimas is the Greek word. That means accepted, acceptable. What's acceptable to Christ is that we are, remain hot for him, that we're not lukewarm, that we don't waver in our faith, that we have an unwavering faith. That though we might fall, we might get down, we might uh, discourage or what have you, but we stay in the race. And we look to the finisher, the perfect completer, Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the hope, Lord, that we can have Lord, I pray for everyone that is hearing this message that we would be unwavering in our hope of salvation. We would be unwavering in our determination to finish the race. That we would be unwavering when it comes to looking to continually be growing. Lord, help us to have the mindset of continual growth. Lord, help us not to be complacent. Help us to know that you are the one who comes running to us when we cry for help. Help us to know the promises. Help us to know of the warnings of what takes place when a person becomes complacent, lukewarm, or begins to think little of the things of God, or begins to detest them. Lord, help those that are struggling during this time. Help those that are dealing with the uncertainty of these times. Lord, I pray that you would be their refuge. You would be their hope you would just rejuvenate them, Lord, spiritually empower them by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you guys. And those that are, if you're still online, we love you, we miss you, and we were just looking forward to getting back into fellowship. God bless you. Have a blessed evening.